I have been a pastor for about 15 years now, serving uh, churches all over Southern Ontario. And God has been good and faithful. There have been challenges, of course, as there always are. But God has led me through some challenging experiences and come safely out the other side. The technology is all working. We're good. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus enters the wilderness and stays there for 40 days. And that, of course, immediately draws our minds to the people of Israel, the Israelites, wandering for 40 years in the desert. And 40 appears many times in the scriptures. Moses fasted for 40 days before receiving the Ten Commandments and then spent 40 days atop Mount Sinai receiving them. He spent 40 years in the court of Pharaoh, 40 years tending sheep in order to lead God's people for 40 years, twice as long in preparation as in service. We should take note of that. Elijah walked 40 days to reach Mount Horeb. The great flood was 40 days and 40 nights. Jonah spent 40 days warning Nineveh. And we believe that 40 people had a hand in writing the Bible. Jesus ascended 40 days after his resurrection. 40 is a very significant number in Scripture, representing a time of change, a time of renewal, a time of preparation. But we look back to the Israelites and we also know that their time wandering in the desert was a punishment. Their unfaithfulness caused them to spend much longer than they might have hoped traveling through desolate lands, learning to trust in God because their only form of sustenance came from the sky, delivered directly by God, day by day, not something that they could store overnight, but each day accepting a new gift from God, learning to trust in him, learning to rely on him, learning to change their ways and be a faithful people. And so we must ask ourselves the question, we have 40 days and 40 years, is there also some connection between that sense of punishment. Was Jesus sent into the desert as some form of punishment? Was that part of the testing? Did Jesus need to prove himself? Was he being punished? The Israelites wandered because of their disobedience. Is this the same thing? Was Jesus being softened up for the devil's appearance. I think it is quite the opposite, actually. Jesus regularly went off to pray alone by himself. And the disciples are forever asking, 
Where did he go? Who was set to watch him? He disappeared again. We gotta go find him. Jesus prioritized time in prayer and solitude over presence with his disciples even. He would rather be closer to God than closer to the people that he was teaching because he needed to prepare himself to maintain that relationship with God. This is a pattern that we easily miss. And we don't stop to think of Jesus being alone and by himself and in prayer and preparation. We focus on the miracles, the snazzy things, the things that really catch our attention that we wish would happen to us, the things that we think, oh, if only this could be healed, if only I could be freed from that. And so those are the things that we pay the most attention to. But again and again, Jesus is portrayed as sneaking away to spend time alone with God. We should pay attention to that. We need to be careful about what we ask God for. Because sometimes we ask for patience. And while I was in seminary, I worked at Costco. And if you ask God for patience, he may put you on the returns desk. (laughs) And I have to say, there is no better training for pastoral ministry than being with those people who are so upset over something that matters so little that you're going to return no matter what they say. But they want to tell you the story of how the product betrayed them. (laughs) They want to be heard. And that's an important lesson for anyone in ministry to understand. The tempter came to him and said, if you were the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. After 40 days of hunger and connection to God, Satan shows up. And he wants Jesus to abandon what he is committed to. He wants him to stop fasting. Now we've been told that Jesus is hungry. Is the food wrong? Is it not good to eat? No, fasting is avoiding something normally good for you, healthy. We need to eat to sustain ourselves. Why then do we fast? Why do we take something good and say, not right now? We fast in order to train ourselves. We fast to build our capacity to say no. We all come across situations where we could do the wrong thing, to be intimate with someone that we aren't committed to, to take money that isn't ours to take, to make claims about ourselves that aren't warranted. Fasting is like training for truth. We strengthen our commitment to our own honesty when only God and we know whether we've cheated and we maintain steadfastly what we have committed to. 
When we deny ourselves things we want and could have, but for purely spiritual motives, say, no, not right now. We are training ourselves to, in that moment of temptation, be able to deny ourselves because we know we are the sort of person who is strong and capable and able to say no even to ourselves. Jesus spent 40 days fasting to grow strong, not to be beaten down, not to be softened up, but to be ready for what comes. We sometimes think that Jesus was sent to that desert to become weaker. But the truth is being alone with God is where he found his strength. And we all need time to listen for God's still small voice. A few years back, my wife got up in the middle of the night. She was feeling unwell. She was about to be sick and throw up, which if you've ever met my wife, there's nothing in this world that she hates more than vomiting. And so she was sitting on the toilet waiting and then she stood up preparing to turn around and open the toilet, but she lost consciousness. And she fell forward into the counter, a nice thick piece of marble. And she smashed up her face. Her head twisted as it struck, tearing neurons in her spinal column. And it took more than a year for her to get back to a regular work schedule. Six months off work, and then six, six months only being able to, to work for two hours at a time. Because her brain and her body needed to heal and overcome the damage and the trauma. It was several years before she really felt that she was over it. And she sometimes still feels the effects and has odd reactions. And one of the things was that noises bothered her. She couldn't drive in the car with the radio on. And so as we went to church, I had a, an hour commute at that time. And so we drove for an hour in complete silence on the way to church. Now, with an hour-long commute, I had many ways to keep myself occupied. Audiobooks, podcasts, music, all sorts of ways to keep my brain active so I didn't get so bored that I drove right off the road. But driving to church for an hour with my wife and kids in the back in complete silence, my daughters were very patient with the situation and they learned that mommy just couldn't handle the noise of them chattering in the back seat. They were little angels. I developed a taste for driving in silence. And after that experience was over and done with, and I was on my own in the car, sometimes I would turn all those things off and silently drive waiting for God to speak. And having written that in my sermon, and wanting to prepare, I, I had planned to do that on my way here. But my car with the cold weather has had some troubles. And one of the door sensors is malfunctioning. And so my car thought that I had a door open the entire two hour drive here. <laughs> this morning silence was not an option. 
and so I stuck with the audiobook. But those times driving silently are an op- opportunity to be close to God, to put myself in a place where I can just sit and be silent, let my mind calm down and listen for anything that God might have to say to me. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus rejects the suggestion and quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. He doesn't use his own words. He takes scripture and pushes that in the devil's face. Jesus knows the value of discipline. He knows that the devil is trying to throw him off track. And Deuteronomy 8.3 speaks of the manna in the desert. God provides for the people of Israel. It only appeared at specific times. They couldn't store it up. They learned to trust and to rely on God because there was no other option. God was training his people to trust him. Every day, I will provide for you. And all you need to do is trust. The devil was seeking to break that connection of trust between Jesus and God the Father. To step in between the Father and the Son. To break the connection of reliance and support. But Jesus understood what was needed of him. Jesus was committed to God's plan, to completing the period of fasting and preparation. That was part of the plan, and Jesus was not going to sidestep it. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you were the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil tempts Jesus again. But what is he tempting Jesus with? Bread when you're hungry. Well, that's pretty obvious. We all want food when we've been deprived. Is the devil tempting Jesus with a thrill ride? The excitement of flying through the air. Something only Jesus can do. Skydiving 2,000 years ahead of its time. Surely Jesus would not be tempted with something so trivial. What would it prove for Jesus to jump? Well, it would prove that he was essential to God's plan. Now, whether I am where I'm not a pastor, God's will shall be done. Whether you witness to the next person that you see, God's will shall be accomplished. But what if Jesus didn't do what he was supposed to do? He is God's only son. If he steps aside from the plan and is killed by his own capricious action, is there a backup plan? Would it remove the cornerstone for God's plan for humanity? Is that why the angels would rush down? Because God couldn't afford to lose Jesus in this way. 
before he had done what was needed. And who would Jesus be proving his necessity to? To the devil? Well, he already knows Jesus' importance. To those watching in the temple grounds? Would it pave the way for Jesus? Would it rob his ministry of its slow build? Would it immediately put him in confrontation with the priests before he gathered the support of the local people in the small towns all throughout Israel? Jesus took three years ministering to people, growing a base of support, causing the temple priests to step cautiously for fear of offending the common people en masse? Or was it to prove to Jesus himself that he was who he felt he was? Was Satan tempting Jesus to prove to himself that God needed him? Jesus relied on his relationship with the Father. Would this type of empirical proof squelch their relationship I mean, if, if I walked back into my house this evening and I demanded proof from my wife that she's been faithful to me, that would kind of put a damper on our relationship, wouldn't it? The fact that I would be willing to confront her directly in that way means that I must not have much trust for her to begin with. It means that I have some suspicion that something is going on. Fortunately, I do not. But even if I did, that is not the way to handle a relationship. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus passed the test. The Father knows him. He will stick to the plan, slowly growing support, not doing anything so public, anything so bombastic. He has disciples to train. He has people to serve. He won't shortcut the process. He will act with patience and acceptance. What will come, will come. Tests have always come easy to me. I've always been good at multiple choice, no matter how much I knew about the subject. There's always one or two questions that you can immediately dismiss, and then you just have two, maybe three left, and you just need to pick the best one. Multiple choice isn't a good way to test, though. It's good to determine if you've read the material, but it really just proves whether or not you're a good reader. There was one test, though, that I had in seminary that really stood out. The professor hadn't been hired yet, and he was just adjunct faculty, but he was hoping for a full-time position. But there were several people in competition for that particular position, and unfortunately, they informed him that he didn't receive the position about a week before our final exam. <laughs> I have no evidence that he took out on us his disappointment with not getting the job. But when we walked into the classroom, the papers were all face down on the desks, as they often are, and you could sort of make out the final question on the back of the exam. And that's when we all started to panic. Because you could see 
that there was a question, and then there were multiple choice responses. It's the first time I've ever had the option of selecting M. There were 14 <laughs> possible responses on the final question. That did not fill any of us with joy or hope. Our initial impression was correct. And I was one of the first people to finish the exam. And I immediately went home and wrote a four-page letter complaining about how we had been treated. I found out later that other students who'd gotten under the exam a little bit later all gathered together and went en masse to complain to the administration. There are times when we are not up to what is asked of us. There are times when life throws more at us than we are ready for. But Jesus has been through it. Our guide knows the way. He's been tested and he passed. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. The devil tries one more time. Say, I'm worthy. You who are God, say that I'm the greatest. Acknowledge me for what I am not. Tell the lie and I'll give up. He offers Jesus something not his to give. He wants to rob God of his glory. He wants once again to drive a wedge between Jesus and the Father. And he once again offers Jesus a shortcut. You want the world? I'll walk away from it. But Jesus didn't come for power or prestige. He came to be witnessed by lowly shepherds. Jesus didn't come for authority and might. He came to be known by people just like me and you. To walk alongside them on the road. To eat with them in dusty hovels and on street corners. Jesus came to heal the sick. To tend broken hearts. He came to establish trust with 12 young men. He came to demonstrate what a life well-lived looks like. He came for me, and he came for you, to be present in a way we could read about in his book. A story told by regular, everyday sort of people, mundane, ordinary, and yet still so hard for so many to accept as true. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil had overstepped. He'd said the quiet part out loud. 
This is the devil's end game, to displace God and live a lie. But nothing could be more obvious to Jesus. Nothing easier to sidestep. There is no advantage here for Jesus. The devil is offering something he doesn't want because Jesus is committed to the path. Jesus is willing to drink the cup. Jesus is willing to suffer and die. Political power isn't part of the plan. We should pay attention to that. Domination isn't part of the plan. We should hear that. Coercion isn't part of the plan. We need to know that. Jesus didn't come to seize control. He came to set us free. Jesus came in the hope that we would respond. Jesus came in search of partners, people that he could work with, people who could be his partners in changing and transforming this world and making it a better place, healing the damage done by sin, misbehavior, rebellion. To heal what is broken. To fix what is wrong. To restore what is fallen. To make new what is tarnished. And to bring life where there was only death. Then the devil came. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And so the devil flees. Jesus' reputation is not sullied. Jesus' mission is not abandoned. Jesus' faith is not broken. And God is not afraid of sending angels that that might give him the wrong information. The angels show up, not because Jesus forced them into it, but because God the Father loves and cares for his son. And so Jesus' needs are met even though he didn't ask or demand it. God knows what you need. And for those of you studying, you will endure times of trial. You will have moments of doubt and confusion. Coming to a place like this is about challenging yourself. You are here to see what you are made of. You are here to discover what you can accomplish. Your future is not set, and there are many paths you could take. And though it might at times feel like wandering in the desert, don't take shortcuts. Though you might feel alone, do not let go of God's hand. Though the devil himself appear with an amazing limited time offer, Keep your eyes on the prize. Stay close to the Father. Follow the Son. Live by the Spirit. Trusting that even when the way is chaotic, God is watching and waiting to see how it all turns out. Let us know that while the bread is tasty, it does not fill us like the love of God suffices for us. 
Let us realize that the thrill of falling is nothing compared to the comfort of resting in God the Father's arms. Let us remember that though we are offered everything, God wants for us to pay attention to the little things and earn what we get. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the gift of gathering in this place and being present to you. For the wonderful worship that we have experienced, which draws us into your presence, and your holy word, which comes to us out of the darkness and teaches us what it is to be your faithful people, following in the path laid down by Jesus, attentive to the word which instructs and informs us, and the Holy Spirit who changes and transforms us into the people who can be your children, going where you would have us to go, doing what you would have us to do, being who you would have us to be. We are grateful. And we will stay the path. These things we pray in your holy and powerful name. Amen. As we go from this place, let us remember... Jesus' example. Let us live by the Spirit and keep our eyes fixed on God the Father. Go in his name. Amen.